0: Welcome to the Wanderers History Podcast and to a new episode of the Traveler Diaries in the 16th Century Mediterranean series, where I talk about some very interesting primary sources and accounts of navigators, merchants, diplomats, statesmen who happened to visit Venetian Cyprus in the 16th century. In today's episode, we talk about the account of John Locke, not the 17th century English philosopher. We're talking about a Uh, navigator and someone who wanted to visit the Holy Lands in 1553 and did it via visiting Cyprus. This is an account transcribed by Copham in Excerpta Cypria, and he took it from the principal navigations, voyages, traffics and discoveries of the English nation uh, between 1589 and 1600 written by Richard Hakluit. Uh, as I've mentioned before in the previous episode as well, I do not own any of this material. It's public domain, and for educational purposes, I find it very interesting to tie in with what I've done before on the history of Venetian Cyprus and the Eastern Mediterranean. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. It really does help the channel a lot. Now, let us resume and go back to our journey into the 16th century Eastern Mediterranean in Venetian Cyprus. The account starts and goes on to say, quote, I, John Locke, accompanied with Meister Anthony Rastwald, with divers, others, Hollanders, Zealanders, Alameins, and French pilgrims, entered the good ship called Fila Cavena of Venice, the 60th of July, 1553, and the seventeen in the morning we weighed our anchor and sailed towards the coast of Istria to the port of Ruino. And the said day there came aboard of our ship the Persona of the ship named Famisart for to receive the rest of all the pilgrims' money, which was in all after the rate of fifty five crowns for every man for that voyage, after the rate. five shillings sterling to the crown this done he returned to Venice the 24 we were past Ragusa 14 miles and there we met with two Venetian ships which came from Cyprus we thought they would have spoken the 11 in the morning we had sight of the island of Cyprus and towards noon we were towards the Cape called Ponta Malota and about four of the clock We were as far as Bafo, and about sunset we passed Cavo Bianco and towards nine of the clock at night we doubled Cavo Delegate and anchored afore Limiso. But the wind blew so hard that we could not come near the town, neither durst any man go on land. The town is from Cavo Delegate, 12 miles distant. The twelfth of August in the morning, we sent on land to Limiso. This town is ruinated and nothing in it worth writing, save uh, only in the midst of the town there have been a fortress which is now decayed and the walls part overthrown, which a Turkish rover with certain galleys did destroy about ten or twelve years past. And of course, I'll just make a small. Um, mentioning here he goes on to say that the agriculture in cyprus is affect was affected by certain pestilences and he, he mentions uh, a certain vermin called in the italian tongue quote cavalete and he goes on to say the difficulties which indeed cyprus did co- go through in the 1550s there are instances throughout the mid 16th century in which there were uh, tensions increasing from the Greek mostly Greek peasantry that a lot of not so much corn that was harvested in Cyprus went off to the Terraferma to Venice and that caused of course within time a deep resentment of the Greek Cypriots within within Venetian Cyprus towards the uh, so-called Latin overlords so after this description of uh, limiso which would be limasol um, on the 12th John Locke goes on to say quote the 13th day we went in the morning to the Greeks church to see the order of their ceremonies and their communion of which to declare the whole order with the number of their ceremonious crossings it were too long wherefore least I should offend any man I leave it unwritten but only that I noted well that in all their communion or service not one did ever kneel, nor yet in any of their churches could I ever see any graven images but painted or portrayed. Also, they have store of lamps alight almost in every image one. Their women are always separated from the men, and generally they are in the lower end of the church. This night we went aboard the ship, the 14th day in the morning, we set sail and lost sight of the island of Cyprus. End of quote. Again, this is this ties in to uh, parts of the internal tensions in Venetian Cyprus before the Ottoman conquest and the Ottoman-Venetian war, which started in 1570. There were deep tensions between Greek Orthodox Cypriots and the Latin Catholic. Uh, population of the island, so within this we see this uh this traveler noticing these discrepancies which of course the Venetians knew the Ottomans knew as well, and we would see the conclusion of all of this unravel after fifteen seventy one John Locke goes on to say about the how valuable Cyprus was for the Venetians because of the vast quantities of salt uh, and the salt pits in there he mentions the ride from Arnacho to quote Salina which would also be like in George Hill's books on the history of Cyprus there'll be references the Salines. Um, from Salina he and his companions would go on to go to Famagusta which was the last bastion of Venetian Cyprus during the Ottoman-Venetian war and he goes on to say that on the 29th, quote, we alighted at Famagusta, and after we were refreshed, we went to see the town. This is a very fair stronghold, and the strongest and greatest in the island. The walls are fair and new, and strongly ramped with four principal bulwarks, and between them, Turrisons, responding one to another these walls did the venetians make they have also on the haven side of it a castle and the haven is chained the city have only two gates to say one from the land and another for the sea they have in the town continually be it peace or war 800 soldiers and 40 and 6 gunners beside captains Uh, petit captains governor and general the land gate have always 50 soldiers pikes and gunners watching there at night and day at sea gate 5 and 20 upon the walls every night do watch 15 men in watch houses for every watch house five men and in the marketplace 30 soldiers continually there may there may no soldier served there above five years. Neither will they without friendship suffer them to depart part of for five years be expired. And they may serve in all nations except Greeks. They have every pay, which is 45 days, which is about 15 shillings sterlings. Their horsemen have only six solds Venetian a day and provender For their horses, but they have also certain land therewith to plow and sow for the maintenance of their horses. But truly, I marvel how they live being so hardly fed for all the summer. They feed only upon chopped straw and barley for hay they have none. And yet they be fair, fat and serviceable. The Venetians send every two years new rulers, which they call Castellani the town have allowed it also to galleys continually armed and furnished, end of quote. So here we have a description of what actually was accurate. The fortifications of Famagusta, apart from its strategic location, being having only one gate uh, accessible via land and one via sea, there was a reason why Famagusta fell blast, apart from, you know, having Marcantonio Bragadin, there so we have John Locke making some very accurate observations and I would say quite detailed in terms of like just how many soldiers were in each outpost and how many even their pay which is very interesting to see how a traveler could have gotten so much detail out of this was he maybe also a spy in the service of the English crown hard to say, but his account is very, very interesting. The only thing is that this is such old 16th century English that I hope everyone bears with me. Uh, It's quite tricky and the writing itself is not very clear being being an old text. So, um, yeah. After detailing what, what happened in Famagusta and his observations on the city of Famagusta, he goes on to say about certain shrines, religious elements. I want to get to his observations about Nicosia, which I've always talked about the contrast between Nicosia and Famagusta. So John Locke goes on to say that, quote, we writ to Nicosia, which is from, Arnacho 7 Cyprus miles, which are 1 and 20 Italian miles. This is the ancientest city of the island and is walled about, but it, it is not strong, neither of walls nor situation. It is by report 3 Cyprus miles about. It is not uh, thoroughly inhabited but have many great gardens in it and also very many date trees and plenty of pomegranates and other fruits there dwell all the gen- gentilites of the island there have every cavalier or conte of the island an habitation there is In this city one fountain rented by St. Mark, which is bound every eight days once to water all the gardens in the town. And the keeper of this fountain hath for every tree a Byzantine, which is 12 souls Venice and six pence sterling. He that hath that to farm with a fair and profitable garden, there though belonging, payeth every year to St. Mark 1500 crowns. The streets of the city are not paved, which maketh it with the quantity of the gardens to seem but a rural habitation. There are many fair buildings in the city. There are also monasteries, both of Frank and Greeks. The cathedral church is called Santa Sophia, in the which there is an old tomb of jaspis stone all of one piece made in form of a carriage coffer 12 spans high which they say was found underground it is as fair a stone as ever i have seen end of quote this is also although he doesn't go on with the same level of detail uh, describing nicosia as he did with famagusta you do notice a few key words in this in this description, not a lot of paved roads, a lot of gardens, rural, that is a very important word used by him. And also he makes an observation about the walls of Nicosia, which were nowhere near as um, well-maintained as the ones in Famagusta. And of course, the reason why Nicosia, one of the main reasons why Nicosia falls is that the fortifications were inadequate adequate. Um, and... The soldier tree, the the amount of soldiers and the garrison was not well equipped enough. On top of the fact that he does mention as well, unlike Famagusta, Nicosia had a substantially larger Greek Orthodox population, which with time started to resent some elements of the Venetian ruling class. These are the most important and relevant parts to the conversation that we are having about Venetian uh, Cyprus. He makes some accurate observations about the Cypriot economy, the impact, the importance of Venetian Cyprus, economically speaking, as... A resource for the Venetians in terms of agriculture and salt. He notices the differences between Venetian Famagusta and Venetian Nicosia as well. It is it's a very interesting text a bit drowned in some I would say unnecessary uh, details but all in all it's it's a very interesting text in a very antiquated archaic version of, of English I do apologize uh, for the listeners I'll try to edit this episode as uh, best as I can. So I don't have any like long, awkward pauses between, between words. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I believe the next one will be about the account of Elias of Pesaro. So that, that is one of my favorite documents from Excherpta Chypria. So uh, stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening again. Remember to hit the like button, the subscribe button, if you haven't done so already. And until the next time, all the best